Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. I, I had a weird moment while I was singing uh, there. Uh, so I'm singing, right, and I've got my hands up because I'm just praising the Lord, and I had this flashback to um, the Rocky movies. You know what I'm talking about? Where he runs up the stairs, and he's at the top, and he's like, yeah! And I thought, well, that's kind of like us, right? God has overcome. God is uh, definitely victorious in our lives, in the lives of people around us. And uh, man, we get to be a part of that story. So I am so excited for that. Well, this morning, um, it is really good to be back with you this morning. Uh, Christy said we were gone for uh, a couple weeks um, which we haven't done in a really long time. And so it was good just to be away for a little bit, uh, to uh, refresh a little bit, um, just to kind of take care of ourselves a little bit. So it was nice to do that. And um, we, even though we were away, we miss you guys. And so whether you are here in person or whether you're online, um, we are glad that we get to pastor the people who call themselves real life. And so uh, we're back, and it's good. I want you to take just a moment, and I want you to share with the people around you something challenging that God has called you to do, something God's asked of you in your life. Maybe it's recently, maybe it's a long time ago, but something that was just difficult, challenging. It, it required that you take that, you know, that step of faith, and you're like, I don't know how this is going to work out, but uh, I'm going to do it because God's called me. So take a moment and share with those around you. Not yeah. Let's go. I tried to cover my shine. have those stories. Some of them are bigger than others, but every one of them is real. And they hit us right smack dab in the middle of where we live. Uh, For some, those challenges, you took these steps out and they were easier than others. And others, they were just excruciatingly difficult. And maybe some of you are still dealing with the effects of those decisions that you've made. And my prayer is, and always will be for you, that as you step out of the boat to walk on water, 
that you would find Christ right there smack dab in the middle. But also, not only would you find God there, but you would find people there, people who could be in your corner. And this morning, I want to take us to Exodus chapter 17. Uh, one of my favorite uh, stories in Scripture, it's a story of Moses. Uh, I was talking to the, the music team this morning. I love the book of Exodus. Sometimes it feels really, really long, but when you think about it, it's a story of a people who take a really, really long walk, and it's a rough walk. It's a journey with a, lots of, a lot of ups and some significant downs. And so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 17, beginning in verse 8. And I want to read uh, the word of the Lord for us today. I'm going to be reading out the New Living Translation. Please follow along in whatever translation you're using. Uh, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow, I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage but whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, Write down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nissi, which means the Lord is my banner. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we all say together, thank you, Jesus. This again is one of my favorite passages of scripture. It's a reminder to me, I hope it's a reminder to all of us, that we are not alone. But it's also a reminder that God calls us to take some amazing steps of faith as we follow him in our, in our daily life. This passage of scripture is one, another one of those examples of what I find to be the, the quintessential struggle between God's people and those sworn to distract and destroy God's people. It's the battle between good and evil. To better understand the struggle, we have to understand a few things. And one of those is we have to understand who Amalek is. Amalek, he was the grandson of Esau, the great-grandson of Isaac, the great-great-grandson of Abraham. The descendants of Amalek became known as the enemy of God's people. And if you know the story, you might know where this is headed. The Amalekites inhabited the Negev desert right on the edge, on the border uh, between the desert and the promised land, the, the, the land of God's people. As, as, as they lived there on, on the border of Canaan, there was always tension between these people, but it goes back before that. In, in Jewish folklore, the Amalekites were the representation of evil. How would you like to be known as that people? 
I mean, when people look at you, it's like, oh, that's evil. That is the personification of everything that is wrong with the world. If you know the story of Esau and Jacob, Esau was the firstborn and Jacob was his twin brother who came out just on the heels, literally, of his brother. Esau was the heir of all that was Isaac's. He was the firstborn. The firstborn gets what dad has. He is the one who is the rightful heir to all of this. Um, One day, Esau was so hungry that he was willing to sell his birthright to his brother. Now, I've been hungry before, but I don't think I've ever been hungry enough that I'm willing to sell out my future for something to eat. Evidently, he had worked up quite the appetite that day to make this deal. The long story short of this is this. Jacob agreed, and in the, the, further into the, the passage of Scripture, you'll find that Jacob actually tricks his father into blessing him rather than his brother Esau. Now, remember, they had kind of made a brother's deal, uh, but I, I'm sure that after the stomach was satisfied, Esau was like, yeah, I'm not going to follow through on that one. That makes no sense. But Jacob was going to hold him to it. Well, he knew that his father probably wouldn't agree with that. And so he had to trick his father into blessing him instead of his brother. So at his old age, the blessing goes not to Esau, but to his brother, which began a a chasm, a rift between brothers that we see in this passage of Scripture coming to fulfillment in the two peoples clashing in the valley below this hillside. When sin gains ground between two people or two groups of people, that separation has lasting, long-lasting and devastating effects. We may not be able to determine what would have happened had Jacob not gotten the blessing and stolen Esau's uh, birthright. But what we can say is this. We know that it happened and the chasm was cut that day. This family rift is at the heart of what's happening in this passage, the battle in the valley. So that's a little bit about who Amalek is, but let's think and consider just for a moment who Moses was in this. Moses is the guy who was the leader of the people of God. He was the one who went to Pharaoh. He figured out how to get him out along with the help of a God who did some crazy things. Moses was the one who uh, was not a gifted speaker. That's why God said, I'll send your, your brother along with you who can speak for you. Moses was, uh, he was the leader. He was, in some ways you could consider this, he was the pastor. He was in charge of the spiritual leadership of this nation. Uh, he was the tour guide, if you will. He was the one leading them. He was the conflict resolution. He was the mediator between people in the camp. He was the one who would negotiate 
as they traveled through lands. He was a big deal for the people of God. Moses, the story of Moses is a story over and over of a, of a guy who is asked by God to do something crazy. And he was the guy who had to decide whether or not he was going to follow through or not. This is what we know. Even in the midst of Moses' struggles, he struggled, I'm guessing, every time. God, you want me to do what? You want us to go where? You want me to deal with these people? And it's so funny. I love it when Moses refers to them as God's people. It's, they're your problem. Have you ever thought about that with people that you have to deal with? This, you're, these are God, this is your problem. But even when Moses was faithless, God was still faithful. And something, there's something there that we have, we have to take to heart. You may feel like you're at the bottom of the barrel. You're not alone. Others have been there, others are there, and others will be there. And here at Real Life, we just are asking that if that's, who, if that's who you are, can we just own that? But recognize that at the bottom of the barrel, that's not the end of the story. Because God is faithful at every turn to come through in the areas where he's called you to step out and be faithful. You, you may just feel like you've dropped the ball one too many times. But God's there to pick up the ball every single time. God's faithfulness is, is what we have to hold on to. We've talked about Amalek. We've talked about Moses. But there's another part of this story that I find very intriguing. And it's a piece of the story that oftentimes gets overlooked. And it's the staff. The staff of Moses. The, the staff of Moses... Um, kept with him along this journey is, it's more than just a walking stick. It's, it's something more than, than something to hold him up when he's tired. It is the symbol of God's call for Moses to trust God as well as a symbol of God's faithfulness. It's this stick. It's this stick that just is a stick. But think about all that happened. It it's, what it, it's the very thing that identifies for us those things that God is asking us to trust Him with. So God called Moses to take this staff, and when he was in negotiations with Pharaoh, he said, I want you to take that staff, and I want you to throw it down. And Moses was like, what's that going to do? He says, just trust me. So Moses throws the rod down, and it becomes a snake, which is pretty awe-inspiring until Pharaoh's magicians in some way, shape, or form were able to do the same thing. You might think, well, that's a defeat, except for the fact that God's, what God did with the stick snake, that Moses' stick snake devoured the other ones. <laughs> Can you imagine the story that was told in the camp that night. Guys, you got to hear what happened. We thought we were defeated, but God came through and showed his faithfulness. 
Or, or what about the time when God said, I want you to take that staff and I want you to step out into the water and I want you to, to, to place that in the Red Sea. Yeah, I know that you can't get around this thing. And I know that you can't turn around because the Egyptian army is bearing down on you. But I just want you to take a stick and stick it in the water. You know what Moses' thoughts probably were, right? Uh, God, what is that going to do? Just trust me. So he does it. Can you picture Moses that day? Like, all right, I'm going to look like an idiot here, but uh, here goes. Steps out of the water, pushes the, touches the stick to the water, and all of a sudden, the waters part. And I'm thinking, Moses is thinking, whoa. Didn't see that one coming. But yeah, God's faithful. And, and I love that story of them walking through the, the waters because it's not just that the waters got held back. God let them walk through on dry ground. Crazy. God is faithful. Well, that's not the end of the story. In a few verses before what we read this morning, the people are thirsty. They're out in the desert. They want something to drink. And there's no 7-Eleven. There's no Sonic. There's no Chick-fil-A. There's nothing. There's no drive-through. And God says, Moses, I want you to approach the rock that I'm going to stand on. And I want you to touch the rock with that, with that rod of yours and see what I will do. Again, Moses thinking, oh my word. God, could we just do a simple this time? Just give us jugs of water. But he does it. He goes forward and he touches the rock and water comes forward. And the people see again God's faithfulness mind blown at the ways in which God comes through time and time again. God shows up best. I love this. God shows up best in the crazy. If you think your life is crazy, you're in store for an example of God's faithfulness. And I don't know what that is for you, but I just know this. God shows up best in the crazy. So what does this staff of God represent? I want to ask you this. What has God placed in your life through which God wants to part waters, make ways in the wilderness where there seem to be no ways, and provide a means for life and sustenance? God knows that your faithfulness is more important than your perfection. Can I say that again? God knows that your faithfulness is more important than your perfection. So if you feel like, man, I got I to gotta get perfect at this. I got to do this right. I got to jump through all the hoops in just the right order. Can I just say this? Just take a step in the right direction. When God says, go there, would you just take a step in that direction and see what God does? Because God is in the habit of doing crazy things crazy things. So we're here we have Moses again in one of those situations where he has to trust God with the outcome, even though it sounds ludicrous. He's on a hilltop. He's overlooking a battle between God's people and the Amalekites. And it appears that the outcome of that battle is solely dependent upon Moses's ability to keep a rod above his hand. Crazy. That doesn't make any sense to me. What is 
a rod above someone's head have anything to do with the uh, war tactics in the valley? I don't know. But it seems that when it's up, God's people have the advantage. And when he gets tired, have you ever tried to just hold your hands up for a prolonged amount of time? It gets tiring really, really quick. And what I love about this passage is that Moses understood his his necessity for faithfulness. Moses didn't know how he was going to do it. All he knew is that he had to do it. But Moses had been seeing the handwriting of God in his life and knew that when God asked, God came through. So Moses is at this point where he said, well, I'm just going to do it. And I don't know how this is going to work, but it's going to work. But he's just, his faithfulness was what was on his heart and mind that day. But the passage of the scripture this morning that I really want us to focus in on is this. The two guys, Aaron and Hur, they were up there on the hillside with him. And there's two things that I want to mention about these two guys that I think are extremely important. First of all, let me talk about who Aaron was. Aaron, Moses' brother, he's been a companion uh, from the beginning of this epic journey to free God's people from slavery and uh, deliver them to the promised land. He's been on the journey. But her, H-U-R, her shows up first in this passage of scripture. This is his entrance onto stage, onto center stage. He's a companion of Moses and Aaron who first appear here. Jewish tradition says, that uh, her became the creator, the one who actually put together this thing that we would call the tabernacle, the place where the people of God would meet with God. And First Chronicles refers or call her the father of Bethlehem. I love in Scripture when we see the handwriting of God weaving through Scripture. And it's in these, one of these passages where I'm like, oh, I think I know where this is headed. Maybe, just maybe, because of the faithfulness of a guy on a hilltop one day out in the middle of the wilderness, maybe, just maybe, his descendants are going to learn a story about what it means to be faithful. And in some way, shape, or form, he's going to become the father of the very place where Jesus would be born. There's two things I want you to hear about Aaron and her this morning. First, Aaron and her were willing. They were willing. And they, they were willing to come to the aid of Moses in that moment. They understood what was at stake. They had seen what was happening. The rods up, things are going good. Rods down, things are going bad. They're like, hey, we want to be a part of making this a success. They were willing They were willing to step to the plate. Moses couldn't do this on his own. From the beginning of the story of God, it's about God providing people to come alongside of us, to help us fulfill the call to be faithful. This is who Eve was for Adam. Jonathan for David. Aaron and her for Moses. The disciples for Jesus. Not one of these was perfect. In fact, Sometimes these companions were just outright failures. But God used them. 
to bring about God's story rather than their story. Aaron and her were willing to share the challenge of faithfulness with Moses. So Aaron and her were willing. I wonder, when you think about uh, your willingness to come alongside of other people, what does that look like? Does it look like, hey, I understand what's at stake and I'm stepping to the plate? Or is it a, oh gosh, do I really have to do this again? I mean, can't God use someone else? I'm sure none of you have ever thought that thought. I know I've never thought that thought. But really, what does it look like for you and I to be willing to come alongside of others so that the story of God can be fulfilled in our presence? There's something else I want you to hear about Aaron and her. Aaron and her were close. They were close enough to know when Moses needed assistance the most. They weren't off doing their own thing. I'm sure they had their own things to, to take care of. I mean, they had, a, they had a nation that they were leading through the wilderness. They all had their things that kept them busy, but they were close enough to Moses to understand when he needed them. They didn't wait to be asked for help. You notice that in that passage of scripture, Moses never says, hey, Aaron, her, can you help me out here? They were close enough. They saw the need. They didn't have to wait to be asked. They knew what was at stake and they jumped in. They figured out how to help the man on which the success of God's plan seemed to hinge at that moment. They were there for each other because they knew that in some special way, God had brought them together for a reason. Real life, I feel like that's who we are. God has called us together for a reason. And I don't know who is Moses. In fact, we all may be Moses at some point. I don't know which one of us is Aaron or her because the reality is I think we are all of them at some point. But the realization is this. Do we, the people of real life, recognize what God is wanting to do through us in this community, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in the places that we shop, in our neighborhoods? Do we realize what is happening around us? And do we recognize that sometimes God is calling us to intercede for each other and sometimes it's exhausting and we don't want to do it? But do we recognize that God needs us to do it? God needs us to be willing and God needs us to be close. So my question to you this morning is this, who is with you? And the other side of that question is this, who are you with? This is the question each of us needs to answer. Who do you have to help you stay faithful to the call of God on your life? Who is asking you the tough questions? Who is calling you out? I know we don't like to be called out on our junk, but church, we need people who can call a spade a spade, who can say, hey, I love you too much to ignore what I see happening in your life. But can I also say this? 
Closeness is important. Some of you don't have the closeness with others to speak into their life. And I do not want to give you permission to just go barnstorming through other people's lives and say, hey, I've noticed this in your life and you got to get it straight. And they're like, who are you? Because you see, Moses recognized Aaron and her. And when he felt our hands grabbing his wrists to hold them up, he looked to the side and to the side and said, these are my boys. They're here for me. And they're here for God. But can you imagine if Amalek showed up on the, on the hillside that night or that day and grabbed a hold of Moses' wrist to hold him up and, and uh, he was like, dude, who are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm Amalek. Yeah, I know that actually, and I don't want you touching me. <laughs> Some of you don't want others touching you. And I get that. That's why... This isn't, a, this isn't a message about just inserting yourselves in someone's life because, something you, because of what you've noticed. This is a message about recognizing that what happened on that mountaintop began long before that day began. So my question for us today really is, is who, who's with you and, and who are you with? Who are you willing to come alongside of? Who are you willing to be close with? In church, who are you willing to let come close to you? Who is willing to share the holy life with you, even when it doesn't look so holy? <laughs> we are better together. Moses, Aaron, and Hur built an altar on that hilltop that day as a reminder of who God had been that day. And I wonder for us, what kind of altars have we created around us? Uh, it was a practice in Scripture. They would build an altar and they would name it. And that name would say something about what God had done in that moment. And in this one, Yahweh Nissi means God is my banner. Well, what does that mean? Banners, yesterday we uh, traveled to Madison, Alabama to run a cross-country meet. And we had two of our cross-country runners get this crazy idea that they were going to take these flags that we have, that we have by the tent, and they were going to pull them out of the ground, and they were just going to run around the course with them. They were going to be there to cheer others on, and I tell you what, it was cool. This was the first time they've ever done it. But to see those flags running across the fields to locations where they were going to meet up with students that were running, and I just got so tickled to see this banner that was going out to these people in the midst of a, a, their struggle to finish 3.1 miles. And, and it was a reminder to them of, of who they are a part of. They're a part of Blackman Cross Country. They're a part of 35 young people who have devoted themselves this season to learning what it means to run, to developing their abilities. They're there to learn and be a part of a community. Have we always gotten it right? No. Have they had some boneheaded moments? Yes. The kind of moments that, that coaches are like, oh gosh, what are we even doing? But when we see banners, we are reminded of things. And I want to ask you, what banners exist in your life that remind you of who God is and who your people are? It's in many ways, it's very similar to another story in this Exodus passage 
where they uh, took a, a rod and they put a, an image of a snake on it and they would ri- raise it up. You'll have to go find the story. Um, but when people would look up at this, they would, f- they would find themselves healed. And what's really crazy about this story about the snake on top of a pole is that exists even today. If you look at the medical profession, the symbol has a snake on a, on a pole. It's a reminder to us of the God who is the healer. Who do you need God to be? Who has God been? And who do you need to remember in your life? Oh yeah, that is God. That is my God. There's a passage of scripture that we, the staff, have kind of been throwing around this week. Christy found it this week. And just like, gosh, this is, this is at the heart of what it means to be a part of a small group. And it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, we read this. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. That's what happened with Aaron and her and Moses on that hilltop that day. But real life, are you living into this passage? Can you say, I love you or someone, you pick the person, I love you so much that I am willing to share not only God's good news with you, but also my own life. And church, are you also willing to let someone say that to you and to live that with you? This morning, we uh, are gathering around the table that our Lord has set for us. I just want to remind you that I love tables because they are symbols of gatherings. And as a church, there is no better gathering than what happens around the communion table. It was on the night that God, Christ was betrayed that he gathered with his disciples and he, he took, he, they had a meal, they were talking, they were shooting the breeze. They were living life together. They were living life together. But after the meal, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he passed it around and said, this is my body broken for you. Church, are we willing to let our bodies be broken for the other people in this room? Those of you in this room, are you willing to let your body be broken for the people who are watching online? Online people and in-person people, are you willing to let your body be broken for those who not, aren't yet part of what God is doing here at Real Life? Broke the bread, passed it around, they ate and scratched their head. What is Jesus talking about now? If you find yourself wondering what in the world God's doing, you are in good company. After the bread, he took the cup, he passed it around and said, this is my, my blood shed for you. It is, this is the, the, the symbol of the new covenant, the new way things are going to work. Christ's body broken, his blood shed for you. And as we gather around the table today, we are going to pause and think about the people whom we are sharing life with, not just God's good news, but our lives as well. Or like those who have prepared to come and serve, if you would join me up front this morning. They are going to bring the elements around to you in just a second. They will hand you the elements so you don't have to grab them.
But as they come around, I would like for you to think. Why don't you guys go over here and tell me this? I want you to take and hold the elements in your hands. And as you do, I'd like to pray. Lord Jesus, this morning as we gather around your table and the elements that you have set before us, dear Lord, I I pray that you would transport us to that mountainside that day where Moses, Aaron, and her were gathered. And Lord, I pray that you would help superimpose that upon our lives today. God, that you would burn inside of us a passion to live life with each other, to reorient our lives in such a way that we might be better together. That means some of us are going to have to drive. Some of us are going to have to go out of our ways. We're going to have to invite people over for dinner or meet people for coffee. We're going to have to stop and have conversations with people when we're really busy. God, I pray that this morning you would impress upon us all that you were willing to go to for our sake and that we might be willing to do the same for others. God, in just a moment as we receive these elements as we take them into our bodies, God, I pray that we would become the very things which we eat. Your body broken for the world and your blood shed for the world. Lord Jesus, this morning, as we receive these elements, may you impress upon us all that is at stake. Lord Jesus, by your spirit, may these elements be more than just bread and juice. May these elements be the very gifts of grace that we need today. For some, it is healing. For others, it is forgiveness. For others, it is provision. For others, it is reconciliation. Church, with these elements in your hands just now, would you consider what it is you need from God today? Lord, I'm thankful that you allowed your body to be broken and spilled out for us. May we be willing to share the life with those we are living among. In your name, Lord, amen. Church, this morning, would you take, eat and drink of the gifts of grace that God has for you?
Church, would you stand with me? Church, may you not be able to get rid of this image of Aaron and her holding Moses' hands up. May you not be able to get away from the reality that God uses people like you to bring about his kingdom here on earth. May you find people around you who are willing to share not only the good news of God, but also their life with you as well. And may you be willing to share the good news of God with others and your life with them as well. Until we gather back together again, can we just make it our business to live life better together? May we be that people. May we be blessed by God's presence and may we bless others because of it. Until we meet again, may that be who we are. Thank you for joining us today. We would love for you to join us in person. Our address is 2022 East Main Street in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. If you'd like to make a donation to keep our podcast ministry going, you can do so online at reallifecommunity.org slash give. Thanks again for listening.